0: All right, join with me in prayer as we begin. O Lord our God, we give thanks to you for your word, which is a light unto our way, that we might see the path before us to know your will and to know you. We pray that you would bless this time of study, that our minds would be profitably exercised to understand what you would have us to understand, to learn from your word. And so, practice it in true piety. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, today we continue in our series on virtue, on growing in virtue. And we've looked so far at, uh, well, what have we looked at so far? What three virtues have we looked at thus far? hope that's one right love was one, love was one. Faith? faith yes faith hope and love and those are a familiar triad at least by now and one that Paul uses often traditionally they've been known as the theological virtues uh because especially with faith and hope and then also with love they're oriented to to god Um, that we have faith in God, hope in God, we love God. Of course, we also love our neighbor as well. Now, another one which we could also call a theological virtue, not in that triad, but one that I want to talk about today, is that of piety. Uh, Piety, which is, as we'll see, a a, a biblical term and concept, uh, and also one that uh, has a long history behind it, and one that's important for our practice of life with God. But unfortunately, piety, like the word religion today, is not especially popular. I think uh, there's a couple reasons for that. Both words, religion and piety, strike some people as maybe overly formal or sanctimonious or get unfairly associated with hypocrisy or formalism. You'll hear some people contrast religion with relationship, like, oh, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship, um, when really it's both. And uh, the same goes for piety. It is true, the Bible speaks of, of godliness, the appearance of godliness without the power of it, that it can be just pretense and hypocrisy, but properly speaking, that's not what it is. Um, like religion, piety is a good word, and concept Um, to others piety might sound like a good thing but be overly uh, narrowly constricted to a few things uh, as if it's another word for private devotions or or only regarding a few outward religious practices and that's what piety is um, which would be an overly narrow view and sometimes it's almost like those few things are prized and other things are denigrated um, And sometimes people use the word pietism to describe that attitude. Uh, But piety is more, it it certainly is things like Bible reading and prayer, uh, but it's more and it's deeper than that. Now, where do you find in the Bible? If you looked in your Bible and you just searched for the word piety, you might not come up with a lot, and that's due to a matter of translation. Uh, The Greek word for piety is Eusebia, Eusebia. And in our English translations, it's usually translated as godliness. So when you see the word godliness or godly in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, that there's this Greek word, Eusebia, which is the Greek equivalent of the Latin, pietas, which is where we get our word, piety. And uh, as with most concepts in English, we have two words one Latin based, one Anglo Saxon based. Godliness is the Anglo Saxon based word, and piety is the Latin based word. I'm speaking of the concepts. So you could use either word, godliness or piety, but the concept is the important thing. You know, what, what is meant by Eusebia? I think piety might be a little more precise, but uh, it's the concept that's important. So, what is Eusebia. What is piety? What is piety? Well, a few people have talked about this over the years. Uh, John Calvin uses the word a lot in his Institutes of the Christian Religion, and he defines it too. He says, I call piety that reverence joined with love of God, which the knowledge of his benefits induces. For until men recognize that they owe everything to God, that they are nourished by his fatherly care, that he is the author of their every good, that they should seek nothing beyond him, they will never yield him willing service. So there's, there's an aspect, of a, a knowledge of his benefits, of God's benefits, that we have received everything from him and therefore we revere and love him. And the demonstration of that is piety, or that is piety and then it's exercised in action. Uh, Noah Webster in the 1800s has a good similar definition of piety. He says, piety in principle is a compound of veneration or reverence of the supreme being and love of his character or veneration accompanied with love. And piety in practice is the exercise of these affections in obedience to his will and devotion to his service. And then his second definition is reverence of friends or reverence of parents or friends accompanied with affection and devotion to their honor and happiness. so notice Webster's the same kind of twofold combination as as Calvin that it's both reverence and love, uh, reverent fear and, and grateful love, and then it's expressed in devotion and obedience and Noah Webster also recognizes that there's primary reference to to God, but there's also what we would call a filial piety, uh, a reverence for parents, which is similar, that we have a reverence and grateful love for parents, which is shown by dutifulness and devotion. If I'm going to make it simpler, I would say piety is dutiful devotion that springs from gratitude and reverence. Dutiful devotion that springs from gratitude and reverence. Reverent freer, grateful love, produce dutiful devotion. So if I use the word piety or godliness, that's the combination of things that we're talking about. We've already talked about the love of God, and then if combine that with the fear of God, which is important through Scripture. In fact, if you're saying, you know, where is the term piety found in the Old Testament, I'd say that the phrase, the fear of God, gets at much of the same concept, speaking of this, this childlike loving fear and reverence of God. So a godly, pious life is one that's marked by devout diligence to fulfill your God-given duties, uh, to fulfill them with gratitude and reverence. Well, let's turn to scripture as we see how it's used in scripture. So there's several books of the Bible that uses this term uh, quite a bit. 2nd Peter is one of them. I'll read 3 verses from 2nd Peter. First, he says in verse chapter 1 verse 3 His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So, uh, we have been granted all things by God. Uh, that pertain to life and godliness. Godliness, again, being that word for for piety. Uh, So we have been equipped by the grace of God. We have this by the grace of God. And then as he goes on to exhort Christians to grow in virtue, godliness shows up there as well. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and stealth steadfastness, with godliness. Of course, he'll keep going, but godliness is what we are interested in. Uh, We have been equipped for godliness. You are urged also to to practice it, to add to your faith godliness. Well, then in chapter 3, verse 11, after speaking of where things are headed, the day of God, the coming of Jesus Christ, the new creation that we await for, in verse 11, he says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? That's how uh, the practical application of that is that we ought to live lives of holiness and godliness, holiness and piety. Let me also go to First Timothy few verses in 1 Timothy. It actually comes up several times in the earlier chapters, but let me begin in chapter 4, verse 6 through 8. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so, there is, first of all, connection between the good words of the faith, the truth, and then that it's outworking in godliness, the truth accords with godliness is a phrase both in um, either First and Second Timothy and Titus. There's a connection between uh, being trained in the words and then, therefore, training yourself in godliness. Notice again, you're called to activity. You're called to train yourself for godliness, just as you also train your body in physical virtue, right, to to grow stronger, and that's of some value. But even more so, it's important to train yourself in, in moral virtue, spiritual virtue, in, in godliness and in piety, to grow stronger in its exercise. In verse, chapter 6, verse 3, same book, he says, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not... Agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Again, uh, there's the teaching, the truth, and that should lead us to godliness, piety. It is the teaching that accords with it. And then verse five through six, speaking of these false teachers, they imagine that godliness is a means of gain. They are just practicing it to, to get some money out of you. Um, but then he says in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so there is promise in, in godliness. In fact, that's what he had spoken of in chapter 4, verse 8, that godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. It's a win-win situation. Win now, win later, Uh, Godliness with contentment, though, not godliness as a means to money, because the love of money is not godliness. Love of money uh, is the root of all kinds of evil. And then verse 11, exhorting Timothy, he says, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Pursue these things. Flee those other vices, but, but pursue after true piety. So if we're to pursue it, we should learn about it. We should think on these things and uh, practice them. Piety is preeminently directed toward God. Dutiful devotion to him. Duty is another word that people will treat like piety in religion. You know, like, no, we want to be serving him out of love, not Duty. Or, or think that duty is somehow a, a lower or bad word, but rather because we love Him, we want to fulfill our duty to Him. We want to be dutiful, willing children who want to serve Him. Piety is dutifulness to God in your whole life. Uh, piety is, first of all, an inner attitude that you ought to be pious in your attitude, in the way you think. And and live, but it's also exercised directly in worship. Sometimes we call worship you know, deeds of piety. We ex- give homage to God. That's what worship wor- worship means: giving worth to God. But it's also exercised by obedience to God and everything. Um, church fathers would quote Cicero as coming upon the truth to this concept by saying piety gives both duty and homage. Uh, Piety is both expressed by giving homage to God as we express that in worship, right? We ascribe glory to him, we submit ourselves to him, we offer ourselves as living sacrifices in principle as we pay homage to him in worship, but then also we follow through on that and we obey him in our lives willingly, cheerfully, devotedly. So it would be wrong to neglect the inner attitude, right? We don't want to be hypocrites and just serving him on the outside. Uh, We don't want to neglect that actual uh, direct worship of God uh, as if we want to just leave it as an unspoken assumption. No, we want to declare his glory. We want to ascribe uh, glory to him and give homage to him. But then also let's not neglect obedience to him in all of life as if the whole Christian life is is simply doing devotions, Uh, but rather it's to be a life of devotion to him. Secondarily, piety is also directed toward other, other superiors to whom you have, from whom you have benefited. So parents would be a clearest example of this. Not just any superior out there, but those to whom you are answerable to, who have given you life and breath and that you have benefited from, that you should feel both reverence and gratitude toward. Um, we call this filial Piety. Um, You could also exercise this, or should exercise this, towards your country. Uh, You have received great things from the society into which you were already born. Uh, We're even uh, supporting your parents as well. Um, And so, be grateful and reverent towards your parents, towards your country. Therefore, dutiful and reverent to them, giving back by your service, not being ungrateful and, and selfish. Uh, towards our parents this is usually called filial piety. Towards our country this is usually called patriotism. This is also part of our piety towards God because he's given us the fifth commandment that we ought to honor our father and our mother. And so that's also part of how we fulfill our duty toward God is by showing this, this gratitude and reverence towards our parents. And Paul used the word piety or godliness in this context in 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 4. There he wrote, But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first show let them first learn to show godliness to their own household, and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. Make return, you know, as you receive life from them as you have been brought up by them, they cared for you when you couldn't care for yourself, so you show this reverence and gratitude toward them by caring for them in their old age. Some would also comment that we show this filial piety for our parents by also honoring their children, in other words, your siblings, Uh, that you show this piety towards your country by also honoring your fellow citizens. Uh, for its sake. Now, piety towards God uh, comes from faith. We talked about faith already, right? Faith being a a knowledge of God and uh, assent to his promises and, and a trust in him. Well, it's by faith that we learn gratitude and reverence, that we see that we do owe all good things to God, that God is great And of awesome power and authority, and therefore we show him piety. It shows reverence to God rather than flippancy, irreverence. In Second Peter, not only does he speak of godliness positively, but it's contrast to the false teachers who carelessly despised authority, who blasphemed God, who despised God's judgment. They were irreverent. They were impious. Piety also shows gratitude. What would be the opposite of gratitude? Of course, you could say ingratitude, right? But uh, selfishness, simply neglecting what others have done, what God has done for you. Those who receive much from God but do not give thanks to him are impious. Secularism is thoroughly impious. Oh, we've received all these good things, but let's not mention him. Let's not not say that we could even know him. Let's just live our lives as if he doesn't exist. And then piety is exercised by dutiful devotion rather than unfaithfulness or lawlessness, that lawlessness that's driven by sinful passions. So there's today a great temptation to adopt an attitude that's irreverent and ungrateful and lawless. That kind of defines what's what's bad about life today, Uh, irreverent, ungrateful, and lawless. So being called to piety, we're called to swim against the stream. Now, do you want an example of this concept? First, let me start with an example outside of the Bible, and then I'll use an example from the Bible. When this concept was being used in the Bible, it was a term that the readers of 2 Peter and 1 Timothy would have been familiar with, even the Gentiles. The popular example of piety in the ancient world was Pius Aeneas, Pius Aeneas, uh, the hero of the Aeneid. Uh, the legendary founder of Rome. That's how he's typically known, Pius Aeneas. In that story, Aeneas demonstrates his pietas, his piety, by his devotion to the gods and to his father, by showing reverence to them, embracing the duty they gave him of founding the city of Rome. The classic image was him coming out of the burning city of Troy, carrying his father on his back, and who was carrying their household gods and bringing his son behind him and being charged with a mission to go and found a new city in Rome. And he would have to press on to fulfill this duty that he was given by his father and by the gods. And so he introduces himself in that story as, I am Aeneas, duty bound. I carry aboard my ship the gods of house and home we seized from enemy hands. My fame goes past the skies. I seek my homeland, Italy, born as I am from highest jove. In that story, he faces challenges, though. And what's opposed to pietas is not only impiety, but furor, the Latin word for passion, frenzy, rage. In the Aeneid, this frenzy and passion is personified by Juno, who stirs up storms to try to destroy the ships, Uh, the lust of Dido that seeks to, turn aside him from his path, uh, the Trojan wives who seek to burn the ships, the hostile forces and civil tumults in Italy that he has to press through, all of this to turn aside Pious Aeneas from the path of duty. And he succeeds and he founds a city that will later found Rome a couple generations later. And so when you said piety in the ancient world, you didn't think only of, of private devotions, you thought of someone who had a a calling and who was going to, you know, devoutly, dutifully press on through difficulties to to fulfill it. Well, in the Bible, the, the Bible describes piety in opposition also to not only impiety, but evil passions, the passions of the flesh that waged war against the soul, much as they waged war against Aeneas to turn him aside from his duty and to destroy him. Uh, but this deliverance in the Bible comes through Christ, this deliverance from, from frenzy, from evil passions. He is the grace of God. And Titus 2, verse 12 says, it's the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, that is impiety, and worldly passions. Impiety, worldly passions, teaches us to renounce those things, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. So the grace of God is training us to turn aside from those things that would derail us, and to live self-controlled, upright, and pious lives in the present age. It's interesting that Luke, in writing the book of Acts, mentions Peter raising a man who is lame who was named Aeneas. And then he introduces us to a pious Roman centurion. Uh, might there have been perhaps some symbolism there that pagan Rome and its pious piety was helplessly disabled in need of Christ, uh, the Savior? In any case, in Acts 10, we have the biblical example of one who is described as a pious man, a, a devout man. It's, again, that same Greek word. He is a pious man who served the true God. What was his name? Do you know who I'm talking about? what Roman centurion in the book of Acts described as? Cornelius. Cornelius, That's right. Cornelius. Roman centurion from Italy, same way that Aeneas was described by Virgil, a a pious man. But his his piety then is described. He feared God. He prayed diligently. He gave alms. He attended to God's word. He was dutiful in his calling, and he led his household in God's ways. So let me just conclude then with a few notes on this demonstration of piety through Cornelius. First of all, he feared God. Chapter 10, verse 2. God deserves honor and respect. Impiety treats him lightly and casually. But a pious man fears God. He takes God seriously. That's the beginning of wisdom. In fact, wisdom is what we're going to talk about next week. It goes right into it, right? From piety, fear of God, then we'll go into wisdom. Not only that, though, he feared God with all his household. He practiced the fear of God with them in family worship, worshiping with his family, cultivating it through his instruction, by his example, and applying it to their way of life. He feared God with all his household household it's not merely a private thing in fact his influence even extended to his his servants to his soldier the soldier who attended him is also described as devout or as pious in verse 7 and so a pious man leads his household in piety and promotes piety within it verse 2 also says he gave alms generously to the poor alms is, is is what we might call charity giving to those who are in need they were given both to the needy directly, given also in the synagogue, as we give in church. A pious man is generous and merciful. Cornelius also prayed continually to God. It says that in verses 2 through 3. Not that he prayed every minute of the day, but that he prayed consistently throughout the day. He had a, a certain time at the ninth hour that he was praying. His alms and his prayers were like sacrifices to God. A pious man is mindful of the worship of God and reverently worships him in prayer. He was also a just man, upright. Piety itself is an aspect of justice. God deserves our reverence and devotion. It also motivates you to then fulfill your duty towards others as service to God. So a pious man is is just. We'll talk about righteousness, justice a little bit later on. Also, Cornelius sought Peter out to hear the word of God and invited his household and friends to hear it. He sought to hear God's word, to bring his family to church, invite his friends and relations to join him. Cornelius also was a centurion, a man of responsibility. He fulfilled his, his calling in life as one who was doing so in the service to God. But of course, the main point in Acts 10 is that he received the gospel. I think he already was a believer in an Old Testament sense. His worship was acceptable to God even before he heard the gospel. But he had not heard yet the message of of the redemption that had been accomplished. He was still looking to it to come. Uh, And then he heard the message from Peter received the the spirit in a new testament way and was baptized so likewise a pious man repents of his sin believes the gospel and is baptized with his household like cornelius and so cornelius being an example of of a pious man that's found in scripture this is something that we should all be training ourselves to live in this way to live before the face of god to remember what we owe to God, his generosity, his kindness, that we might be loving and grateful to him, and to remember his presence and power and authority, that we might revere him and therefore live lives that are devoted to him, that we attend to our duties, we turn aside from evil passions and desires, uh, and to repent when we go astray. Let's go ahead and pray then. Dear Father, we thank you for your kindness that we owe all to you and to your patience, your long-suffering, and to your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that through him we might be more and more trained to turn aside from impiety and evil passions, and rather that we might live lives of godliness that we might succeed in training ourselves for godliness, that we might have this this attitude, this practice, that we would express this from the heart, even as we come to worship you uh, this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.